Hey, if you want to grab a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28 today. So grab a Bible. We're in Matthew chapter 28. And we've been going through this series called Everyday Mission. And the idea is that mission isn't something that we simply turn on. It's not an event. It's not a date. But rather, mission is who we are. That God has called us to be a people who are on mission. And again, not because mission is something we do, but rather because of who we are. And see, today we're going to be talking about an everyday identity. Now, there's a challenge that we face, and we're going to talk about this today. And the challenge is this, and, and maybe this has been a challenge that you've had to overcome. I know it's something that I've had to deal with, is that in our culture, often what we do becomes who we are. That often in our culture, what we do, or maybe what's been done to you, the wrong things you've done, or even the good things we've done, that often our culture says what you do really identifies who you are. And so for some of you that may have struggled with addictions in the past, maybe you've gone through struggles and difficulties, often those difficulties, those struggles become our identity. And instead of living out of who we are, meaning who we are in Christ, what happens is we live out of our brokenness. We live out of our fear. We live out of our anger, our bitterness, our resentment. And so today what we're going to discover is that God wants us to live out of who we are in Him. And the beautiful thing is, you ready for this? God calls you who you are before you are so that you might live out of that identity in Him. That God calls us who we are really before we are. God calls us loving before we love. He calls us forgiven really before we forgive others. That God calls us who we are really before we become, and therefore we do. So let's jump into Matthew chapter 28. We're going to pick it up in verse 16. Matthew 28, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Hey, let me pray. Father, as we, um, as we set aside this time, I want to ask, Lord, that you would teach us and that the Word today would become living and active, Father, that you would speak to us. And Father, that our ears would be open to hearing your voice. Father, guide us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in Matthew chapter, actually Mark chapter 4, Jesus, when he called his first disciples, he said to them, uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That to be a disciple, everything's fallen. To be a disciple has three aspects. One, we're to follow him. The promise is, I will make you. And there's something we do. We will be fishers of men. So what do we do? We follow Jesus. Jesus is first. Second, he says, I will make. And then what we do is we, we serve on behalf of God. We are fishers of men. Now, what I want to focus on today is that middle idea. That when Jesus called us, the promise he made is, I will make you. 
that we don't come to God and clean up our life, and then God accepts us. Rather, we come to God, and God makes us into something new, that we don't make ourselves new. God makes us new. Now, often He he makes us new, and He calls us new before we start living a new life. That when we come to faith in Jesus, He makes us new before we even begin to live that new life. But He is the one that changes us, the transformation. The transformation that God's after, hear me on this, isn't something that we can do. That you can't change yourself. Now, there's things you can change about yourself. You can change your behavior. Maybe you can change some attitudes. But see, what God is after is your motivation and your heart. And so he is the one that makes us into something new, that God changes our identity. You know, it's interesting, when you walk through the New Testament, you're going to see a pattern. You know, when Paul wrote to the many churches that he wrote to, he often wrote because there was a problem. And see, all of us have had someone speak to us when there's a problem. And maybe you've had that experience this week. Somebody failed you. They didn't come through. Or maybe there's a situation, you got angry, you got frustrated. How did you speak to that person? I think often what happens, if we're honest, is we talk about the failure. We focus on the issue. You did this. This is where you failed. And therefore, here's the connection, this is who you are. That often when we talk to people, we associate what they do with who they are. You did this, and therefore, this is who you are. Well, I want you to notice something. When you read the letters of Paul, like in uh, Philippians or in Colossians or Galatians or Corinthians, and the Corinthian church was a mess. I mean, when you talk about a church that has really fallen apart, it was that Corinthian church. But when you look at that church and you look at the way that Paul addresses them, he does address the problems. And he says to them, hey, this was what was wrong, and here's what you did. But instead of living there, right, the way we do, instead of repeating that and reminding them constantly, you know what he does is instead he reminds them of who God is and he reminds them of what God has done. That every time he says, here's what you need to do, and before he really emphasizes what has to change, you'll notice a pattern that he's always addressing this is who God is and this is what he's done. And the problem that we need to overcome is we need to really trust in who he is. That every time he's addressing a problem, hey, you were unforgiving, you were unkind, you lived in a way that was out of line with who God is. See, instead of just focusing on the behavior, what he does is he says, you really don't believe in who God says he is. And then he reminds us, because of who God is and what he's done, this is who you are. Now I want you to live out of faith in who you are in Christ. See, what the New Testament is always drawing us to is not just simply obedience, but to trust that God is who he says he is. And so you're going to see this pattern over and over again. If you take out your bulletin, you're going to see four questions. And really today, this message is based on these four questions. And I think they are the four most important questions you can ask and the four most important questions the Bible answers. And they're in that order. The first question is, who is God? The second question is, what has God done? The third question is, who am I? And the final question is, what do I do? Again, the first question is, who is God? Now, how do we know who God is? It's revealed in what he's done. 
that God is always consistent between his character and what he does. Now, we're inconsistent, that often we say we are one thing, but we do the opposite. We often say we love someone, but we act in unloving ways. Well, see, God is holy, which means he's, he's whole. His character and his actions are always together. So often you can find out about who God is based on what he's done. And when you look at what he does, it reflects his character. And so who God is is always revealed in what he's done. And here's the idea. That determines who we are. That my identity doesn't come from what I do, right? It comes from what God has done. And if it comes from what God has done, what I do flows out of my identity in him. Now, you're going to get this in a minute. So if you want to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to see this play out. And see, when you're reading the Bible, these are the four questions the Bible is seeking to answer. Now, often when we go to the Bible, the question we go to answer is question number four. When we go to the Bible, we say, okay, what do I need to do? What is it that I have to do? How do I have to change my life? But remember, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you. That transformation is not what we do. It's what God does to us when we trust in who he is. And so in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, watch this. Paul says in Ephesians 5, 1, therefore, and here's the command, right? This is what we're supposed to do. If you're answering those four questions, Question four, what are we supposed to do? Be imitators of God. Wow. I mean, that's a command. Because he's not just saying, be imitators of me, and he says that in other places. He's saying, I want you to be imitators of God. Now, that's a pretty weighty command. I mean, how many of you this week felt like you were a great imitator of God? Let's just get some confession going today. Maybe in our relationships, our marriages, at work, as we drive, is that how God drives? You know, as you listen to the news, as you watch things, is that what God would watch? Be imitators of God. Now, that command, I think all of us can admit, that's, that's a pretty lofty command. It's a crushing command because what has God done? Notice how he describes it. Be imitators of God. That's what we're supposed to do. But see, who are we? As dearly loved children. And walk in love. Here's another command, as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Now, if this was your verse for the morning, the day, and you focused on that and you walked out of your house, okay, man, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be an imitator of God today. And then you see your neighbor. Oh, Lord. Right? That attitude comes in. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. I'm not supposed to have that attitude. Oh, shoot. I'm not an imitator of God. And then you start looking at yourself. Hey, I must be a terrible Christian. I must not be doing it right because other people must do it well. I mean, I see them at church. They look like they have their life together. I walk out the door and immediately see someone and I've already failed. Even though this morning I read scripture, I prayed, I said, God, I want to be an imitator of you. And I've failed. See, what's the problem? The problem is you're focusing on what you do and you're associating what you do with who I am. But see, that's not what Paul is telling us. Notice what he says is, this is the command. I want you to be an imitator of God. Now, how does that work? Well, you've got to know who you are. You're not powerless in this because he calls us, notice in verse 1, as beloved children. We are not just children. We are the beloved children of God, and yet we constantly fail to imitate God 
And often we project an image of God that is inconsistent with who he is. That God loves us even though we constantly fail him. We are his beloved children. Now, why are we his beloved children? Well, question two, right? What has God done? What does Paul say? What has he done for us? He says, as Christ, notice the words, loved us and gave himself for us. See, what's Paul trying to emphasize in verse 1? Is he really telling us about how we're supposed to live? Or is he trying to help us to see who God is and what he's done? Because if you believe that God loved you to the point that he sent his son for you, that he gave himself up for you to adopt you, though you were a rebel, you're now a child of God, you're completely forgiven, completely accepted, filled with the Holy Spirit, If you believe that about yourself, there would be an energy and a strength and a power within you that say, I want to imitate that. But see, not because of what I do reflects, really determines who I am. I want to do that because that's who I am. I want to do that because I am a beloved child of God, and God has loved me to such a degree that I want others to experience the love that he's given us. Do you see the difference that often when we go to the Bible, what we're focused on is what do I need to do? But see, that's not the question that the Bible's answering. The question the Bible is trying to show us is this is who your God is. Do you believe that? And it's supposed to take us to a challenge of faith where you say, hey, if I looked at my behaviors, no, I don't. If I was honest right now, I think we skip over those parts, right? We kind of get on to what do I need to get doing? What what needs to happen? But the Bible is trying to show you a picture of who God is. And when we see that to go, wow, is that really who God is? Is that what God has done for me? Well, then we need to ask the question, do I believe that? And the place we need to look is I look to what I do. What do my behaviors say about what I believe? Because here's the reality. You always live out of what you believe. You always live out of what you believe, which means often your behaviors are telling you something about the God you believe in. Are you with me on that? Paul's saying if you believed, if you really trusted, that doesn't mean we don't believe that God is loving or we haven't put our faith in him. It means that that reality isn't the controlling factor in our heart and mind in that moment. That something else is greater than who God is and what he's done. And see, what the Bible is constantly trying to do with us is take us back to that idea, this is who your God is. And so in 1 John, John says, God is love. Now, how do we know that God is love? You know the verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Listen, who is God? God is love. What has God done for us? He sent Jesus, his son. He sent Jesus as the atoning sacrifice. So who am I? I'm loved. Therefore, what do I do? I love others. Now, do you see the difference between if I just said right now, hey, let's go love others. Let's go do some loving this week. That would be focused on what you need to do. Hey, this is the energy. I got to produce this love. I got to be the creator of love. No, you're not. You're not the creator. You're a container. Because God is love. He's loved us. Therefore, I'm beloved. Therefore, it's the love of God that's supposed to flow through me. See, who is God? God is forgiving. What has he done? He's forgiven us, right? Therefore, who am I? I am forgiven. Now, why don't we forgive? 
because we don't believe we're forgiven. We don't believe God's forgiven us, and we don't believe he's forgiving. Because if you really believe that God had forgiven you, Jesus died on the cross, there's no one you couldn't forgive. If you really believe that Jesus took the eternal punishment for your sin on the cross, there is nothing and no one you could not forgive. Because there's nothing that anyone's done to us that can compare to what we have done to God. What's the problem? We don't believe who God is, and we don't believe what he's done. God says to us constantly, I am holy. Why is God holy? Well, God is holy because he's consistent. And so what has God done? Through Jesus Christ, he has purchased us. Because to be holy means to be set apart. And so through Jesus Christ, God has made us holy. So we are holy in God's sight. And so what should we do? We live a holy life. Now, why? Because that's who we are. Listen, that's how the Father sees you. And see, we know how this works out in practicality because in life, many of us live to hear one thing from our Father. I love you. You're significant. I believe in you. Now, some of you received that in life. Some of you did not. For those that did receive it, you know the kind of power that created in your life. You saw yourself different. When you heard those words of affirmation, who you are, it caused you to live differently. But what if we heard that, not just from our earthly father, but from our heavenly father, that he loves us, he's received us, and in him we are his adopted children. You see, that would change everything. Because we live in a culture that wants us to believe that our doing equals our being. And hear me on that. That's the challenge that we face is we live in a world that's constantly telling you what you do determines who you are. And so think about the last time you met someone new. All right, let's test it out. First question we might ask is, hey, uh, what's your name? Second question, what do you do? How often do we go from what is your name to what you do? Why? Because we think if I find out what you do, I'm going to know who you are. So if I ask you right now, ready for the question? Here's the question of the day. Who are you? If someone came up to you just out of the blue and said, who are you? How would you answer that question? Now, often what we do is, well, this is what I do. I didn't ask you what you do. I asked you who you are. But see, we live in a culture that's constantly saying, and it's hard for us to disassociate what I do with who I am. Where does that problem come from? It's called sin. Sin fundamentally says what you do determines who you are. Now, how do I know that? Let's go to Genesis for a minute. See, in Genesis 1 and 2, God created all things. And his work was good. And what did he say about us? His word said, we are good. In Genesis chapter 1, God created us in the image of God. In the image of God, he created us male and female. He created them. And he said over us, Everything I have made is good. See, God's word and God's work said we are good. And see, the problem was Adam and Eve needed to trust in God's word. Everything I've made is good. And then to trust in God's work. Because he's created us, we are good. Because God saw all that he had made and said it was good. So their identity came from God's word and God's work. You with me? Everything God made is good. That's his work. 
And then he declared, he had to say it over us, it's good. And it's not just good, it's good, good. It's very good. And so in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, God says to Adam and Eve, I want you to trust in my goodness, and I want you to trust in my work. And this is how he says it in Genesis 2, 17. Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you shall eat of it, you shall surely die. That God says, hey, everything I have made is good, but I want you to trust in my word, and I want you to trust in my work, and I want you to trust that I am good. Here's one thing I don't want you to do. I want you to trust me. So when the tempter comes, what is he going to question? If God says, through my word and my work, you are good, when the tempter comes in chapter 3, the thing he is going to question is God's word and God's work. Is God really good? And is what he said true? Can you trust him? So watch this, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. And the tempter comes in, and he begins to question. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Notice what he's saying. Did God actually say, can you trust his word? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the tree of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither touch it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But notice, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, meaning God's word cannot be trusted. Instead, notice his work isn't good. Verse 5, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. What's he questioning? You cannot trust God's word, and you cannot trust God's work, because if you do this, you're going to be God. What is our culture constantly saying? It's promising you that you could be God. Trust in your work and trust in your word. Trust in yourself. You determine what is good. That God's truth is a lie, and the lie is the truth. Because, see, when this happened, when it came into Adam and Eve's heart, that I cannot trust God's word, and I can't trust his work, that means I am what I do. I have to trust in myself. And if I'm doing good things, then I'm good. If I'm doing bad things, then I'm bad. So what are you going to do? You're going to go find fig leaves. You're going to cover yourself up, because as soon as sin came into the world, you know what they realized? I'm not good. Because if my doing equates to my identity and my being, if we're honest and we look at what we do, it's often not good. And they felt naked and ashamed. So what did they do? They looked for something, their own work, to cover themselves. Now, for all of us, we're running to different fig leaves. You may look at somebody else's fig leaf and say, okay, that's the problem with the world right there, those people. The people that cover themselves up like that. But all of us, Scripture says, all of us are trying to cover ourselves up with our word and our work instead of trusting in God's word and in his work. Do you, you see what he's saying? The challenge of the Christian life is trusting that what God has done is sufficient and that God's word is true. Think about that. The challenge we have in the Christian life is on the cross, Jesus said it's finished, but we don't believe it. We don't believe it. That's why we don't do what we should do, because we don't trust that God truly is loving. God truly is 
I keep dropping stuff. Forgiving, that God truly is good. Because, see, when we ask those four questions, who is God? We see who God is and what he has done, which results in who I am. And now this is what I need to do. Here's the beautiful thing. See, God always changes our name before he asks us to do something new. See, God is a God that changes our name. You'll see this throughout the Old and the New Testament. God's constantly changing names. One of the first names he changed was this guy, Abram. And he said, Abram, I want you to trust me that I'm going to make all things good. And so it says in Scripture, Abram Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abram trusted the goodness of God's word and now God saw him as good because he was trusting in God's goodness. So by faith, Abraham was saved. So what did God do? What God said to Abram was, before he even had a child, in Genesis 17, 5, he said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And see, in Genesis 17, his name went from Abram to Abraham, which means the father of many nations. Now, here's the million-dollar question. Was that before or after he had children? what you'll find out it's before. Now, he had Ishmael, but that was the son of his work. It was not the son of God's work. See, God called Abram the father of many nations before he was, and that's what God does to us. He calls us something before we are, before we do, so that out of that we would do. And so when we jump into uh, Genesis, I mean, uh, Matthew chapter 28, we see the same thing happening. That when we are baptized, we're baptized, as he says, into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So turn there for a moment in Matthew chapter 28, in verses 19 and 20. In Matthew 28, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them, therefore, to observe everything I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So notice he says, and then teaching them. So there's things we're supposed to do, that as we go and we make disciples, those who are following Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and then on mission for Jesus, there's things that we're supposed to teach, which means there's stuff we need to do. But notice in verse 19, before he says, teaching them everything I've commanded you, he tells us who we are. I want you to baptize them in a new name, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Because when you put your faith in God, your identity changes. God is now your Father. Jesus is now your Savior. And the Holy Spirit is now dwelling inside of you. Now, the reality is I may not sense that. I may not believe that fully. But that's who I am. And the success, really, of the Christian life is trusting and believing that's, what, that's who I am in Christ. Now, if God is my Father, that makes us family. And therefore, we are to love one another as family. Why does Scripture constantly say, love one another as family? Why is it constantly saying brothers and sisters? It's calling spiritual mature men fathers, spiritual mature women mothers, because we've been adopted. This is what God's done for us. What's our identity? We're now family. Therefore, we love one another. Now, we don't love one another to become family. Why do we love one another? 
Because in doing that, we're living out our identity. The church is the family of God. It's a, a family to whom God loved us as family before we were family. And if God's done that for us, then we are to go out into this community and to love others as family before they become family. Does that make sense? Because that's the character of our God. What's our God? Our God is a God that loves people as family before they are, so that they might become and so that they might do. You see the difference in that? We are the family of God. That's our identity. And when we love others as family, the only way we can do that is by trusting. This is what my father has done. He's adopted me, and now I'm the family of God. We're baptized in the name of the father. Therefore, we're family. But second, we're baptized in the name of the son. And who was Jesus? He was the Messiah who served us. Now, Messiah means he's the king. He came into Jerusalem, and he came in, and it was Hosea saved now. But the way he saved us was by serving our greatest need, that Jesus died on the cross, that he did not come to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. We're baptized in the name of Jesus, which means if he's the servant king, then we are servants. We're servants because that's the one that we worship, the one that was willing to serve us to the ultimate end on the cross that through Jesus Christ we are now servants who are preview of the coming kingdom of God. We are to be a preview of heaven because that's what you see in Jesus. In Jesus, you see heaven. That's what heaven looks like. That's what God looks like. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So church, who are we? We are family. And then second, who are we? We are we're servants. And then finally, we're baptized into the name of the Holy Spirit. And see, it's the Holy Spirit that now dwells inside of us, which empowers us to be his sent ones. Through the Holy Spirit, we're sent into the world as God's ambassadors, his missionaries. And see, we're sent into the world as his missionaries, not because we're trying to earn the love of the Father or we're trying to earn heaven. It's because of who we are, because we are his children. We are servants, and therefore God has given us the Spirit to empower us to love others as God has loved us. We need to start thinking of the church as something different than a building or simply an event that takes place. Rather, the church is a family of missionary servants. The church is a family of missionary servants. Why? Because that's who our God is. That's who our God is. Our God is our Father, and He has loved us. He has served us. And now he wants to empower us. You know, the challenge is, do we believe it? That each day God wants to show himself to us. And what he's asking us to do is simply to say, you know, God, do I trust you? Yeah, I know in the situation you're facing today, you, you want it to get fixed, right? That's what we all want. I want it to be better. But see, God wants to say to you, just like he said to Adam and Eve, will you trust my word and will you trust my work? And then will you start living in a way that doesn't simply treat people according to what they've done, but will we start loving people according to who God says they are? You know, if you start loving a spouse that way, it changes your spouse. Because God says she is cherished and she is beautiful, she is washed. What would happen that you didn't just love each other according to what you do, but you start loving each other according to who they are and what God says about them? That changes everything, church. Because in that, we reflect the character of God. Hey, let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that um, while we were yet sinners, uh, Lord, you didn't abandon us. And you didn't just cast us out. 
You caused us to admit our brokenness. You caused us to admit our shame. But our shame doesn't come just from what we've done, but we've associated everything we do with who we are. That, Lord, we built an identity, not on your love and sacrifice, but instead upon what we could accomplish. We've trusted in our word. And, Lord, we've trusted in our word. And so, Father, today, this week, we will learn that the Christian life is about trusting in who you are. And, Father, resting in what you've done for us so that we could go out and live in a way that reflects the heart of the gospel and the character of who you are. And so, Father, guide us in that truth. And if today, Lord, there's something that we're struggling to believe, through the power of the Spirit, would you reveal it to us? If we're struggling, if there's an attitude, an action that needs to change, would you show us how that behavior is connected to a false idea, maybe a disbelief in who you are? And, Lord, that we would begin to trust you and to know that we are secure, Father, because of what you've done for us. We love you, Father, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you please stand as we respond in worship?